is an exciting Sunday, first Sunday in July, and we have a, a baptism at the end of the service today, six folks who are following the Lord in believer's baptism. Uh, but here during the message, we're starting an important five-week series, and our series is called The Words of the Preacher, which is the opening phrase of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, where we're going to go through some select passages during the month. And you have a chance to cover the rest of the book in your small group. Uh, small group leaders have been given the notes for the chapters in Ecclesiastes that we won't have an opportunity to cover in our family worship service series. And so let's head toward Ecclesiastes, and we'll be right at the beginning of the book today in chapter 1, and we'll actually start with the very first verse. Uh, I hope you can stay after church for the picnic today. And whether or not you uh, knew about it or were prepared for it, we have plenty of stuff. And so come on over. We're going to be back in the gymnasium in the back corner of the property. And we'll follow that picnic by a little bit of softball. So if you would like to play, uh, anybody who wants to play, we will let you play. Uh, next Sunday, we have our annual business meeting at 5.30 p.m. And we have our ice cream social right afterward. And all attenders are invited to come to that meeting. Now, let's read these opening verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, and let's see what God has for us this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun. Now, Ecclesiastes is such an interesting book, and here we have the wisest man who has ever lived trying to figure out the secret to life. And sometimes it is a humorous book, sometimes it's a little depressing, uh, sometimes it reminds us of what's truly important, but in the end, we get to hear the conclusion of Solomon's great investigation. And I always enjoy reading and studying this book of the Bible. I'm looking forward to this series. And to start off the book, uh, let's make a thesis statement based upon Solomon's discoveries, okay? And it's in your notes, if you follow it along in your notes or in your bulletin or on the YouVersion app, and here's how we open today. If what this world offers is all there is, then there is absolutely no hope for anyone, uh, but what if it's not? That's the question we ask in your notes. Now, this morning, we're going to work our way through the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, uh, where we will hear some things we can definitely relate to. The more time you have spent on earth, the more these things will make sense. Uh, and by the end of the message, we're going to add some amazing news into this reality talk. And so stick with me. Uh, here we go, starting in this first section from verse 4 to verse number 11. And in this first section, here's what we're going to find out. Uh, you can't get away from the cycle. Can't get away from the cycle. Look at verse number 4. One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. 
All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. And so let's talk about this first part. You can't get away from the cycle. Now, I want you to think for just a second, uh, how do meteorologists predict the weather, right? How do they predict the weather? And some of you say, very poorly. <laughs> uh, but weather is always like, how did they miss that last night in the middle of the night, there was going to be a wind gust by the Boise Airport 70 miles an hour that knocked down mature trees and fences? How did they miss that that one was coming? Well, how did they predict stuff? Uh, so they look at patterns from the past. And then they pinpoint uh, from those patterns when temperatures have risen or dropped, in which months of which years. They compare it to current data, and it spits out this forecast. And actually, computers do most of it now. And I can pretty much guarantee you that if you come to Caldwell, Idaho, in January of any year, that the temperature will go below freezing while you're here. Okay? In January, that's what's going to happen. I can also pretty much guarantee you that if you come to Caldwell, Idaho, in July, the temperature is going to stretch above 100 degrees while you're here. Okay? Now, thankfully, today, it's only going to be in the low 80s. It's unseasonably cool. And you say, well, pastor, how did you get this brilliant information? How did you come up with it? Uh, well, I'm just aware of the cycles. You can't get away from the cycle. Every week has a Monday. Aren't you excited about that? Every week has a Monday. How many of you would say, you know what, I love Mondays. Anybody out there, you love Mondays? How many of you say, not so much? Not so much, okay. Uh, some people just love Mondays. They're, whoa, and this is a new opportunity. It's another chance to fail, <laughs> right? Uh, every year has a winter, right? Every year. Uh, your birthday keeps rolling around. Uh, I know you're excited about that. And you can't stop the seasons. There is no earthly power that can begin to stop the rate of change around us. Whether it is generations of people, the activity of the sun, the pattern of the wind, the rivers taking their water all back to the sea, or the sea having the water sucked back up in ev evaporation and coming back as rain. And uh, you can't hope your birthday away. Right? Some of you have tried. Uh, you can't wish the rising of the sun away. There's nothing you can do to stop climate from changing. That's what it does. That's what it's going to do. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything is in a rotation. When your clothes from the 1970s went out of style, uh, if you were like my dad, you kept them in your closet. And then, you know what happened? the style eventually came back around. At least some of it did, right? 
uh, those 80s styles that you kept, they did the same thing. I've been holding on to my 90s stuff in hopes that it's going to make a comeback, right? It saved me lots of money. Now, you can view the cycles of life as positive, negative, or indifferent, but you cannot escape them. You can't get away from them. They're a fact. And in my mind and in God's word, they reveal a God of extreme order. They reveal the magnificence of his creation. I mean, just consider the truth of verse 7. Did you see this? All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Now, maybe the climate change scientists should read the Bible, huh? Right? God is in charge of the water cycle and the weather cycle. Right? And when Al Gore made his famous promise in 2008 that by 2012 that the North Pole would be completely underwater, he maybe should have read Ecclesiastes first. Right? God is the only one who has been present for every generation. And so the cycle is always going to be there. You can't get away from it. Now let's go to verse number 12. And I want you to read this next section with me. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out my wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sword travail have God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow." Let's talk about this next section. Can't escape from the evil. Can't escape from the evil. Solomon tried to figure out what was going on in the world. And in the middle of verse number 13, uh, it said, This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the curse that was placed upon humanity as a result of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the serpent, and he cursed the ground. Uh, also, women would have pain in childbearing and in motherhood. Men would constantly go up against thorns and thistles in their labor. There would be pests of all kinds in all places. If it's not mosquitoes, it's snakes. If it's not snakes, it's noxious weeds. If it's not noxious weeds, it's viruses. If viruses aren't fighting against you, then microscopic bacteria certainly is. There is decay and loss of energy and constant trouble. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And then he gets to the end of the section, and he said this, the more you know about this world, the more sorrow you have added to your plate. The more possessions you have, the more you have to worry about possessions, right? Why do people have alarm systems at their houses? Because they got stuff, right? 
People who don't have stuff, they don't have to secure it. They don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, some of the happiest people I've ever seen in the third world are people who have absolutely nothing. You know why? Because they got nothing to worry about, right? That stick that I've got, uh, if they take it, I'll go find another one. They don't have anything to worry about. And uh, the more you have, the more sorrowful you get. The more mankind seeks to eliminate evil by human means, the more evil we become. In spite of our power, our intellect, our creativity. And so he said, it's all vanity. Now, I know that we hear all the time that man is basically good and that things are getting better. But if you've lived on earth very long, you know that that is a complete lie, right? I mean, just think back in your lifetime. Unless you're less than 10 years old, you can observe what's happening here. According to Ecclesiastes, that doesn't uh, just, it doesn't happen under the sun. That can't happen without intervention from the Creator. And uh, look, I know that this is true in just about every era of time, but especially in these last few years, if you really think that the leaders of this world are all incredibly good people who only have your best interests in mind, then I promise I don't know what to tell you at this point, Right? You are as sheepish as any sheep could possibly be, okay? As it says in Job, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And the older you get, the more responsibility you have. The more you grow, the more you have to take care of. Have you ever thought, man, those toddlers have it pretty good, right? They don't have to work a job. They always have people watching out for them and to make sure they're safe. Somebody dresses them. Somebody drives them around and feeds them popsicles. They get to sleep as many hours a day as they want. That's a no-stress life, right? But the older they get, the more stress they'll have. And they'll know madness and folly and vexation. Why? Because there's none righteous, no not. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in the economy of this world, you can't escape from the evil. It sure would be nice if you could, but you can't. By the way, evil is what keeps news channels and newspapers in business. Bad news sells, and there's a lot of it. Solomon talked about this 3,000 years ago. But even though he knew it to be true, he decided he would prove it wrong. So Solomon said, even though there's evil in the world, <coughs> I'm going to escape it. And you know what he found out? You can't escape it. And that's attached to this next part that we're going to see. Number three, can't get no satisfaction. Can't get no satisfaction. Now, if you like to write or highlight or underline in your Bible, we're going to go through chapter two here. And the beginning of chapter two is a laundry list of things that Solomon tried to find contentment 
under the sun. And I'm telling you, this, loot, this list includes every means possible. Uh, but yet contentment always eluded him, just like it eludes every other person who tries to find it through earthly means. So I, I want to look at chapter 2. Let's just look at some of the things he tried. Okay? And I'll point them out to you as we go through this. Verse 1, he said in my heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Okay, so Solomon tried pleasure. He tried thrills. He said, behold, this also is vanity. Turns out to be empty, right? And if you have ever looked forward to going to Disneyland, then you know that verse 1 is in true, true fact, right? Because you looked forward to it, you planned it, you drove there, you were so pumped up about it, and you left the park that night tired, weary, and probably sick, right? And, uh, and then, you, you know, it kind of just all turned out to be empty. It was nothing. And yet, two years later, your kids talked you into going again, and you spent another $750 to go for one day. And then you found out it was empty again. And uh, yet, then your grandkids talked you into it, and now it was $5,000. So, um, <laughs> so, pleasure is empty, Look at verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doth it? Okay, so he tried comedy. He tried, he had every comedian come to the palace and tell him jokes, and it didn't work, didn't bring him pleasure. Verse 3, I sought in my heart to give myself to wine. Okay, so he tried substances. Every substance that was present on the earth during Solomon's day, guaranteed he tried it. And you know what he found out? None of them satisfy, right? They just give you weird thoughts and dreams and take you places you don't want to go. Uh, verse number four, I made me great works. I builded me houses and planted me vineyards. So Solomon tried houses. Uh, verse five, he made gardens and orchards and trees. His, he had estates. Six, I made pools of water. So he had waters and fountains and uh, all these things on his property. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. So he tried workmen. And he had thousands of people working for him at one time. Uh, he said, uh, I also had great possessions of great and small cattle. He tried farming. And imagine, it didn't please him. It didn't satisfy him, right? Uh, how many farmers we got out there today? All right? Uh, farmers are always going. They're always going, right? Always chasing. And he tried that too. He tried possessions. He tried things. Verse 8, he tried money. I gathered me silver and gold, peculiar treasure of kings and provinces. Verse 8, he also tried entertainment. I got men singers and women singers, musical instruments. Uh, verse 9, he tried power. I was great. I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. He also tried intellect. He read everything he could read. He wrote everything he could write. He said, my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, he tried relationships. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. And when I say he tried relationships, let me just paint the picture a little more than just that sentence. 
By trying relationships, here's what I mean. Solomon married 700 different women. Okay? You could say that's trying relationships. He added to that 300 additional concubines. So Solomon had a thousand women to try to keep happy. Is it any wonder? Uh, I'm just I'm just speaking realistically here. Is it any wonder that the guy had a tough time? Right? You can't keep that many people happy, right? And notice I said people, I didn't say women. I don't, I'm not trying to grind an axe here. He, he just said, listen, he had a thousand people that he's trying to please at one time. It won't work. Relationships didn't work either. Now, if you're looking for satisfaction in the same ways that Solomon did, I have some terrible news for you. You won't ever find it. Of course, that hasn't stopped billions of people from trying to prove Solomon and God wrong. I mean, how many of us have ever tried one of the following items to supposedly deliver permanent contentment to our souls? Right? Thrills. Nope. Substances. No, that didn't work. Houses. Didn't work. We got, you got the dream home, and it didn't give you permanent contentment. Estates. Yet. Pools. Not really, especially for the person who has to clean them. Uh, Having employees, does that lead to satisfaction? Um, Some of you are laughing right now because you have had employees or you have them. Uh, Possessions or things, never works. Money, the more money you have, the more miserable you tend to be. Entertainment, it's always temporary. Power, it's never enough. Intellect, uh, wise people die just like fools. Relationships. Whether it's one or two or ten or a thousand like Solomon, they don't bring real satisfaction. Now, there's a couple ways to look at this. You can look at this as a real downer, like it's horrible news. Okay? I actually find this to be exceedingly good news. If I know up front that none of these things can bring me satisfaction, then I won't be nearly disappointed when they don't bring me satisfaction. Right? As we go further in the chapter, though, we hit upon another can't. And this is the can't we want to close up today on. Can't ever make it all fair. Can't ever make it all fair. Look at verse number 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored, therein shall he leave it for his portion." This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This also is vanity. 
you can't ever make it all fair. You can't ever make it all fair. You can work your entire life to find success only to leave all your labor to someone else, and you can't control whether or not that person will be a wise man or a fool. Honestly, you can't even control whether your own kid will grow up to be a wise person or a fool, right? You have way less impact and way less control than you think you do. And it's not fair. It's not even close to fair. But that, my friends, is life under the sun. And as we read in verse 21, this also is vanity and a great evil. You work your whole life. You worry about your projects and your people. But in the end, none of the under the stuff really matters at all. Uh, in the year 1900, there were only 5,000 millionaires in the United States. By the year 2000, there were more than 5 million millionaires in the, in the United States. And guess how many of them bought eternal life? You're right, not a single one of them, right? Uh, in 1950, the year my dad was born, there were 58 inductees total in the Baseball Hall of Fame. By 1972, when I was born, there were 134. In 2020, there were 340. And out of all those, guess how many played their way into a residence in heaven? You're right again, none of them. You guys are smart. Not a single one. Now, I know that athletics is a pretty big deal in America's society. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching the game now and then. Uh, but parents and kids who have incredibly high hopes about making the big leagues should know reality before they start. Uh, I read this stat. This is crazy. Uh, one in 13 high school athletes goes on to play a varsity sport in any college, okay, any division. One in 57 goes on to play in a Division I college, but the odds go down from there. One in 3,960 high school athletes will get picked by an NFL team. One in 10,399 high school athletes will get picked by an NBA team. And one in 12,837 high school female athletes gets picked by a WNBA team. And for the ones who go on to be big leaguers, guess how many of them earn a ticket to heaven? That's right again, not even one. You can work your entire life to find success on this earth, and it won't ever go past this earth. Now, I read another interesting stat about high school athletes. Yeah, see if this one makes more sense. 100% of high school athletes will spend eternity somewhere. Did you catch that one? 100%. And I'm pretty sure, parents, that we should be more focused on that stat than all the others. And I see so many parents who are focused on the sports thing to the detriment of their kids' eternity. Every person is going to spend eternity somewhere. And if everything you work for is under the sun, 
then you're not going to be prepared for eternity. And you might not think that's fair, but then again, you can't ever make it all fair. Now, I want to end up here in these last three verses and just talk through them a little bit. First, I want you to see verse 24. This is such an interesting verse. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So here's what Solomon says. If you're approaching life under the sun, here's the best advice available. Enjoy everything that God has given you. Enjoy eating. How many enjoy eating? Right? Uh, We're going to enjoy that in just a few minutes. Uh, Enjoy friendships. Enjoy labor. For who can eat or who else can hasten who are into more than I? That's verse 25. He's saying you can't do anything that you do under the sun without God. God is the one who gave us the ability to do everything that we do now, including eating, drinking, laboring, having friendships. But verse 26, the last verse of this chapter, unveils something that stretches beyond the sun. Okay, we've been talking about under the sun. This goes beyond the sun. This is something that escapes the vanity of this earth. Look at verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. Did you catch that? God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. And in our faith challenge, as we finish the message, I want to remind you of something. The only answer for the vanity of this earth is being good in his sight. Okay, let's talk about what that means. Because that's something you can't ever do on your own. You can't earn it. You can't chart it. You can't advance to it. It only happens one way. Salvation in Jesus by grace through faith. I quoted from Romans 3 earlier, unveiling the fact that all of us are sinners and none of us are righteous. And when God sees us, he sees sin. But through Jesus, the righteousness of God is given by faith in Christ Jesus unto all and upon all them that believed. And Romans 3 says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. And and so if you're looking for a way out of all the can'ts here under the sun, there is a way. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And being good in his sight is a gift that he gives to all who believe. Wisdom, knowledge, joy unto all and upon all them that believe. And, And so it really comes down to this. You can search and search for satisfaction here on this earth. You can try all the things Solomon tried. You can try it multiple times. You'll never find it. All is vanity. But there is a different way. It's the narrow way that leads to life. It's Jesus. And if you are good in his sight by the blood of Christ, he will give you wisdom and knowledge and joy. 
And he's actually the only way to get wisdom and knowledge and joy. And, and so Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, they might seem like bad news when we keep reading all is vanity, but we get to this last verse of chapter 2, and it's good news. The good news is that God has given us a way out. Now, next week, we're going to see that all things become beautiful in His time. And uh, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your grace to us. I want to thank you for those who are going out now to be prepared to be baptized. I want to thank you for the hearts of uh, people that have given their lives towards you, where we can know, we can know for certain that we're righteous through Jesus Christ, that you have offered us salvation, that you've offered us a way to defeat the emptiness of this world. And there are all these can'ts that we find in Ecclesiastes, and yet, through you, we can have joy and peace and wisdom. And so I pray that as we study these verses uh, from Ecclesiastes, that you would help us to move forward in our lives to your will, to what you would have us to do. And we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have a baptism this morning. I hope you'll stick around for just a few minutes. Uh, we are going to have Pastor Bryce, our youth pastor, come and give us a quick little update on what's happening with youth here in these summer months. And then there's going to be a short baptism video. And at the end of the short baptism video, I should be up there. And so should all the people who are being baptized. And we'll have our baptism. Okay? So stay tuned. <laughs>